Well, it's fun to celebrate together, isn't it? It's fun to be together. Um, I, once again, I just I can't imagine um, being in a hospital far away from home, not having somebody around, but it's awesome that we're one together. Another really cool thing that, that happened this week is I had a, a pastor friend from years ago that reached out to me. And he said, hey, I'm down here in South Florida in Fort Myers, and my church is being opened up as a resource center, and was asking if we wanted to partner with them, and I think we're going to do that. Um, But one of the really cool things that happened in that is that um, our secretary, Valerie, our office administrator, her parents live right near the church that this pastor's at. And so in the midst of all of Um, the craziness and the flooding and stuff like that, there was a lady that she really, they couldn't connect with and they were worried about, and so we were able to connect with this pastor, and he was able to send people to that lady's house and make sure that she was okay, and I, I just thought, what an incredible thing that we are connected all around the world, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit. Um, But over the past few weeks, we've been exploring Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and really we've been working through the whole um, book of Ephesians, and we're going to cover a good bit of ground today. Um, but, But we started with one body, the call to be a unified church. Last week, we talked about our one hope, that we are adopted as sons and daughters by God and invited into God's kingdom, which is coming. God's kingdom will be established. We have that hope that God's kingdom is being established and that God is with us and that God loves us. And so let's take another look at the text, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so today we're really looking at verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's fitting that we had one baptism today, right? We turned a bunch of people away. There were all these people that wanted to be baptized, and we said, no, it's one baptism. I'm just kidding. We wouldn't turn people away, but it's really fitting. That's scriptural. If we did, it's scriptural, right? One baptism. But we're going to focus a little bit on one faith, and I think all of these work together. I think one, um, one Lord, one baptism work together with one faith. And so I want to start with a question. What does it mean to have faith? Turn to the person next to you and answer that question. What does it mean to have faith? If you don't have anyone next to you, just yell it out or something. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. All right, I I looked it up. I mean, I I would have an answer myself, but I looked it up. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Complete trust or confidence. Sometimes I think we get the wrong definition of faith in our head. We think that faith is like, yeah, I believe in God and and that's all good, but I'm going to do my thing over here. Faith is complete trust and confidence. So December 23rd, 2003 was a big night in my life. It was the night that I proposed to my wife. And so we had this, it it was our Christmas celebration, and and I told, I didn't tell her what we were doing, but I said, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to celebrate Christmas together. And so Megan said, okay, cool. And I had this big plan. 
I had it all planned out. And I mean, we were going to do this really cool proposal, and, and so we, we go to Outback to eat. That's where we go to eat. When we go somewhere special, we go to Outback because that's our place, not McDonald's, Outback. <laughs> and, um, and, and so we, we got in the car that night, and I had planned, like, I think about, I don't, I don't remember how it all works, but we were going to go to Outback, we were going to finish at Outback, and then we were going to go to Alt Park. And, which is a beautiful park, and, and our, my, our families had set a bunch of stuff up, and it was going to be this nice, romantic um, table with candle lighting and all this stuff. And so I, I've told this story to you before. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm going to tell it again. But it just so happened that that was the coldest night of the year. It was snowing. It was freezing cold. It was not perfect weather. But we went to Outback. And typically, if you go to Outback... It takes a little bit of time to get seated, and then it takes a little bit of time to get your food, and then you eat, and then you're done. And so I planned maybe like two hours to get out to Outback and do our thing, and then get over to All Park. So the families were going to be over there at a certain time and set up. And so we got on our way, and we went to Outback, and we walked into Outback, and it was empty. Nobody was there. I mean, workers, but nobody was there eating. And so what happened? They sat us right down. Okay, great. That's usually good. Not when you have two hours planned. So they sat us right down. And, and so then we order our food. And I mean, like, it was like immediately, boom, here's your food. And I'm like, no, take your time. Come on. We got, come on, I'm on a schedule. And so, boom, here's your food. And so we start eating. And we get done eating. And I'm like, all right, sweet. We've got like an hour and a half to kill here. I don't know what to do now. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to stall this plan for an hour and a half before we get to Alt Park so that everything will be set up. And, and so Megan didn't really have much faith in me <laughs> that night. I had told her we had a plan, but after dinner I was like, all right, hey, you know, I haven't gotten my dad a Christmas gift yet. Maybe we should go over to the mall and get something. And she started to say, do you really have a plan? Are you making this up as you go? And I said, no, no, I've got a plan. Don't worry. And so I said, but, but I really do need to stop over and get something. So we went over, and of course, that didn't take very long at all. We went right in, got what we needed. And I'm like, man, I, I'm not, I don't shop for very long. Like, I go in and get what I need, and I walk out. So here we are. I'm stuck. Things are not going according to plan. And so then I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. And so I had a little bit of a headache. I wasn't lying, but I said, man, I've got a headache. We should go to your house and get medicine. That'll help me. And she's like, you are totally making this up as you go. You said this was going to be special. And she's getting upset with me. And I'm like, no, I got a plan. It's going to be good. She didn't have much faith in me that night. And eventually, we got to Alt Park, everything worked out, we're married, she said yes, it's all good. I don't, I don't want to tell you all of those, I'll tell you another time, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, we were getting ready to get married. She had very little faith in me. <laughs> she loved me, I think, and, and, and I think she would have said she had faith in me, but there really wasn't a lot of faith there when things were, got a little bit interesting. It was like, yeah, I know you, you're making this up as you go. I'm like, no, I got a plan. Last week, um, Charlie, my three-year-old, he, um, I had a plan. I wanted to do something nice. Charlie loves Entertainment Junction right over here on Kingsgate. It is his favorite place. When we drive by Interstate 75, you can look over to the right if you're going over the interstate, and you can see Entertainment Junction. And so when we pass it, a lot of times we have to say, hey, Entertainment, bye, Entertainment. Like, Charlie loves Entertainment. And so Mondays are 
my day off and I have Charlie and Jack. And so I had this great plan that I was going to take Charlie to entertainment and then we were going to get lunch and it was going to be awesome. And Charlie didn't want to wait for that. Charlie wanted to do other things. He wanted to eat things other places. He wanted to play with this. He wanted to play with that. And I'd say, Charlie, we got to get ready because we're going we're gonna to go. Daddy's got a plan. No, I want to play with this. Trust me, Charlie. We're, it's going to be great. Just trust me. And, and Charlie just, I mean, I believe that Charlie trusts me to an extent, but what he had in front of him was more important and he couldn't trust that my plan was to take care of him. And so I thought, Charlie, just trust me. I've got something great for you. I've got something that's better than what you want to do. You just want to play with little toys over here. I'm going to take you to entertainment. But I didn't want to tell him it was a surprise. Charlie didn't have a lot of faith in me, and he ended up getting himself in a little bit of trouble and making things a little bit more difficult than they needed to be. And we did ultimately go to entertainment, so that was good. But he ultimately made things harder because he didn't trust that I was going to take care of him. And I kept saying, Charlie, do you trust me? Do I always take care of you? And he said, yeah, but let's go do this. I want to do this. I don't want to wait. Do you trust me, Charlie? And he made things more difficult for himself. Sometimes I think that we treat faith in God like Charlie did that day with me. We say, yeah, we believe that you're going to take care of me, God. Yeah, we have faith in you. But the things that are right in front of us, the things that that get in the way, the things that are our immediate needs become more important, and we don't really completely trust that God's going to take care of us through those things. Are any of you guilty of this? We profess our faith, but maybe we don't live it in the difficult times. Maybe something comes up and we're tempted to handle it our own way. And we don't have complete trust and confidence that God's going to take care of us. Maybe some of you are guilty of saying this in your head. I believe in God, but I think I've got a better way to do things. I think I can handle myself in a better way. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Did you hear that? Do not live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding um, in, in life because of the ignorance and the hardness of their hearts. They've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. This is a picture of people who are trying to live their own way, who are living selfishly, who are trying to accomplish things on their own. They're seeking to please themselves, to live according to their plan. But the text says that this way is futile and dark, and it only leads to problems. And so it says that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Isn't this what we see in the world around us? The futile of the futility of thinking? Isn't this what we see, that we live according to our own desires and pleasures, that we want to do what we want to do, and we don't want to worry about a higher authority or a power? Don't you see this every day in the world around you? 
Well, this is what I think is best for me, so it doesn't matter what Scripture thinks. This is what I think is best for me, so it doesn't matter what the government says. I'm going to live my way. And it says that that is not a good way to live. We even go as far as justifying things that are easily wrong because we think our plan is good, that we can handle ourselves. So let's just start with this. I, I, I've been doing some math lately in our slide, so I'm going to do, I think this is math. Yeah, it's math. God's way is greater than our way. Get that in your head today. God's way is greater than our way. God's way is greater than your way. God has a way that we should live, and it is better than the way that you will live on your own. Just as Charlie thought that he had a plan that was better than the plan that I had, God has something that's so much better. And as a father, I sat back and I thought, Charlie, if you only knew, if you only knew where we were going, if you only knew my plan. But Charlie got so caught up in the small things in his plan. God's plan, God's way is greater than our way. You guys have all experienced this, right? I'm sure you can think of a time where you just tried to do things your way and you made a royal mess of things. Something happened in a relationship and you handled it your way and it became a royal mess. Or you tried to plan something out on your own and it became a mess. God's way, God's plan is greater than our plan. And so we see in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16 that we're called to unity in the church. And then chapter 4, 17, all the way through the end, for the most part, is about how we live, how we can live as one body, one people, one faith, one hope. It gives us practical instructions as what our one faith should look like when it's lived out. And so we're going to work our way through. Buckle up, we're going to cover like three chapters. We're going to really work through Scripture here and talk about some really specific things. But I want us, as we do this, I want you to think about how this relates to your faith. How these specific, practical things relate to your faith in God. And so we'll start in Ephesians 4. Um, well, moving on, we'll see Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Earlier we saw the picture of someone who's living according to their way, someone who's trying to do things their way, someone who's darkened and living in, in a futile way. In Ephesians 4, 20 to 24, we're called to something different. That, however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." So we heard one side. Don't be like the Gentiles who live according to their own plans, who, are, who don't understand things because they're selfish and they're only doing what they want to do and they're making a mess of things. And now we see this. But you, when you encountered Christ, are called to put off the old way, put off the old self, and to become a new creation. A new creation that it says created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. One of the things we've said several times through the last few weeks is that we are called to be different. 
We're called to be different in the fact that we're one body, that we're unified, that we're together. We're called to be different in that we have a hope that God's kingdom is coming and we live accordingly. And we're called to be different in that we are to put off the selfish nature, the old self, the old way of doing it, and to be created new and live in Christ. To become created like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are called to be holy. You, every single one of you, the Creator God wants you to have an encounter with Him, wants to be present in your life, and wants to take you out of the futility of your own understanding and your own thinking and your own selfishness and wants to create something new in you, wants to make you a new creation that's righteous and holy like God. That's a huge calling. That's, you're going to hear that a lot um, these next few minutes, you are called to a higher calling to be holy. It's verse 20 and 21 says, when you heard and were taught in him. In other words, when you encountered Christ and then when you started to become discipled to be more like Christ, you were taught to put off the old way and to become new, to be made new. Now, many of you have been around the church a long time. Maybe you accepted Christ a long time ago and you've gone through some discipleship things and you've been taught and you've been trained. You are called to be holy. You are called to be like Christ. Some of you this morning may be fairly new to this church thing. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church. Maybe this is your first time stepping into a church. And I want you to know that God wants you to live a better way. God wants to call you to a greater way of living, to be holy. And so we are called, we are all called to be holy. It says to be made new in the attitude of our minds. We are called to a different way of thinking, to a different understanding of what's around us. We are called to a new code, a new way of life. And then verse 24 is, is the key to this whole thing. Created to be like God in true righteousness in holiness, we are called to reflect Christ. Not to be good people, not to show up and just check that box, not to be religious, not to be any of that, not to be good but not good enough. We are called to be like Christ, righteous and holy. That's a huge calling. And so when we're called to, to one faith, that's reflected in the fact that all of us are being called together to be like Christ. Now think about this. One body, one hope, one faith. If we all have the same faith, if we're all called to be like Christ, then what should happen? We should be made one because we're all being transformed into the same likeness. We're all being transformed into the image of the Creator God. And so when we have one faith, we get transformed into one body with one hope. Um, if we are all transformed to reflect Christ, then we will be one. We'll have one faith together. This last week we had board meeting. And something really cool happened in board meeting. 
We, we got to talking about different things and, and some of the struggles that have happened, but we had the opportunity that your, your church board, the people that lead your church, stood up and stood in a circle and held hands, and we prayed that God would make us one. Not that we're going to agree on everything, not that we're all going to have the same taste, that we're going to look the same, but that God would transform all of us to be like Christ and to be one body with one hope and one faith. That is our prayer through this series is that we will become one together and that we collectively will reflect Christ to the world around us. What does that look like? Well, the rest of Ephesians is, is for the most part devoted to showing us what that looks like. So get ready. This is when we're going to cover a lot of ground. We don't have a ton of time. I'm going to work through this. Um, we're going to start with chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. And I want to take a look at these specific things, and I want you to be thinking about how this reflects your faith. You may want to follow up on this later. We don't have the time to cover this as in-depth as I would like to. So when you get home this week, Ephesians 4 through 6 is a good place to be reading to see what this one faith looks like. But let's work through it really quickly. And so in, in verse 4, uh, I mean in verse 25 of chapter 4, it says this, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you are all members of one body. Put off falsehood. Stop lying. Stop being false with each other. And be truthful. Speak truthfully with each other. How does that reflect your faith? What, what's the root of lying? What's the root of falsehood? It's an attempt on our part to try to protect ourselves. It's an attempt to try to gain things in ourselves. It's selfish to lie and to not tell the truth. We're called not to be false with each other, not to lie to each other, but to speak truthfully. If we're one body, we'll be truthful with each other. The second part goes on. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give in to anger. Anger comes from lack of perspective. If we have faith that God will make things right, we're freed of anger. Think about that. When you lack faith, that's when anger is at its strongest, isn't it? It's when you're at the end of your rope. It's when you're, on, it's when you're in a hurry to get somewhere and you're driving and someone cuts you off or someone does something silly and it slows you down. And what happens? You get angry, right? Because you don't have faith that you're going to get where you need to get to. When we're at the end of our rope, when we lack faith, it's easy to get angry, but when we understand that God's got us, when we understand that God loves us and that God's kingdom is coming, it frees us from the need to get angry over things. I don't have time for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I was driving in Charleston when I lived in Charleston, and we were driving, and all of a sudden we got stopped on the interstate, and I was trying to go somewhere, and I was getting really frustrated, and I was like, man... I, I, won't, I won't tell you all the words I was thinking, but I was thinking, man, that person up there, they, they, you know, they really blew it. And I was, I was calling them some names in my head, like dumb and some other things. And I was just thinking like, man, that person really is costing me. That person's not very smart. They're a terrible driver. And I sat in this traffic, and as I creeped up, guess what? It was a guy from our church <laughs> that I really love that's a really good guy. And I have no clue what happened, but because of my lack of faith that I was going to get where I needed to get, I was angry. And that anger was just dumb. The person that was dumb and all that was me, 
Because I was getting all bent out of shape over things that didn't matter in the big picture. If we have faith in God, there's no place for anger. The next part says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now take note of this. Every time it gives you something that you shouldn't be, it takes it the extra step and tells you what you should do. So don't tell lies, but speak truthfully. Don't give in to anger. Don't steal, but work Not just so you can have what you need. Think about that. People who steal are usually people who need, right? Maybe occasionally someone steals just because they want to, but most of the time people that steal are stealing because they feel like they have a need. And this says, no, don't steal from others. Have faith, work, and then it, it takes it the extra mile and says, work so that you can share with others. We are being called to a higher calling. It's not just stop stealing and work so that you can be taken care of. It's stop stealing and work so that you can pour out to others, so that you could be more like Christ. Don't steal, but work and share with others. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up Um, others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, this is tough. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That can mean a lot of different things. But it goes on to say, but let everything you say be helpful in building up others. We are called to a higher way of living. We are called to not just not talk bad about people, but to build people up with the way that we talk to them. The, way, the things that we say should build others up. It goes on and says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then the opposite, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How are you doing so far? How's that checklist going in your head? Are you living holy like God has called you to, or or are some of those things kind of struggles for you? I want you to know that you are called to be Christ-like in the way that you act with each other, in the thoughts that you think, in the words that you say. You are called to holiness. Moving into chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, it says, Follow God's examples, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Okay, all right, right? We, we can love each other, right? It goes on. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This isn't about shaking each other's hands and hugging every once in a while and checking up on each other. This isn't just about being nice to each other. When it says walk in the way of love, it says just as Christ loved us and gave up everything for us. We are called to a love that's beyond pleasantries, that's beyond just being nice to each other, that's beyond just handshakes. We are called to offer ourselves up for each other, to care more about each other than we do for ourselves. We are called to a love that's different. It goes on, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person 
such, as a pers- such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And so it says, you are called to a higher calling of love, and it says, don't do these other things. No sexual immorality, no impurity, no greed, no obscenity, no foolish talk, no coarse jokings. Those are the opposite of the holy love we are called to. And there is no place for that. There is no place for that in a Christ-like lifestyle. If you have faith in God, you are called to a higher calling. For once you were one, for, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord. This is a big difference. Find out what pleases the Lord. It's not just find out what's going to sustain you. It's not find out what can make you the happiest that you can be. It's find out what pleases the Lord. This is an entire shift in the way we live our lives. It's not about us and what we want. It's about pouring ourselves out for others and for God. We are called to live in the light. We are called to please God with our lifestyles. It goes on and says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Moving on into verse 15, it says, "Be, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father in everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to move on here. Those are some pretty high standards, right? All of the stuff we just talked about, hopefully you didn't tune out too much, all of that stuff we just read about and talked about is part of our faith, part of our holy calling to be set apart and be different and be like Christ. And I don't know about you, but when I read that list, I think, man, some of those things don't come naturally to me. Some of those things are, are pretty tough to live out in our everyday lives. What are the biggest roadblocks to you living the holy lifestyle that you're called to? What are the biggest roadblocks? Is it pressure from others? Pressure from friends, family, people around you that, that pressure you to live a different way, that won't look at you the same way if you live that way? Is it alienation from others if you live this way instead of the way that everyone else does? Is it fear that you won't be taken care of? That if I live like that, my needs won't be met? I've got to take care of myself. I've got needs. And I don't really have faith that God's going to take care of them, so I've got to take care of them by living like this. God says, have faith. Live as children of light. Be holy. Is it the demands of work? Some of you probably work in a place where it's easier, and maybe in the temporary, in the short term, it's better for you, or it seems better for you, to live in an unholy way. Maybe you can get a leg up by cheating or stealing or treating someone the wrong way. 
Or maybe you're just sitting here thinking, it's just way too much. I can't live up to it. It can't happen. So what's the answer? The answer is that we are called to faith, complete trust and dependence on God. So we talked about people all over the world, and, and when I was a senior in high school, this would have been 1999 for those of you that want to know how old I am. I was a senior in high school. I went on a mission trip to Kenya. It was one of the coolest things that I've ever experienced. And I went on this mission trip, and I was the only person under the age 30 in the group. I was just a high school kid, and I was with this older group of people, and so I was kind of on my own. And this guy that went to African Nazarene University, his name was Fortune, I met him, and he said to me, he said, hey, I want to talk to you later. Meet me in the chapel later. I want to tell you something. And I thought, okay, this is weird, but cool. I'll meet you. And so I met Fortune in the chapel after our devotional time with the group. I met this guy named Fortune, and he shared his story with me. He shared his faith with me. Let me tell you his story. His family was a Muslim family. They were the leaders of the Muslim community they lived in. His parents, his brothers and sisters, they were all leadership in the Muslim community that they lived in, and Fortune was Muslim too. And he got sick, though, and he went to the hospital. And in that time, he had all these questions of, man, how am I going to be taken care of? What's the purpose? What's going on? And through that, some missionaries came to visit him and shared their faith with him. And Fortune decided in the hospital that God was the one true God. We're going to talk about that next week, one God. But Fortune decided that God was his God now, not, not the Muslim belief that he had, but that he was going to follow Christ. And so this put Fortune in a really weird spot, because his family is the leadership in that community of the Muslim faith. His brothers and sisters, his friends, they're all Muslim. And so what would it cost Fortune to live out his faith? The truth is, it might cost him everything. It could cost him to be shunned by his family and his friends and his community. And so Fortune had a decision to make. Was he going to live out the faith that God called him to? Was he going to live holy and righteous as God had called him? Or was he going to back off and pretend to be something else and try to take care of himself? Listen, this morning I just want to start wrapping up with this. There are a lot of things that can be roadblocks to us living the holy lifestyle that God calls us to. There can be a lot of roadblocks to you living out your faith. But man, as I sat there and heard Fortune's story, and heard this guy that had to sacrifice everything, that had to go to his parents and be rejected by his parents and rejected by his friends because of the one God that called him to one faith. And he chose to do it. And he chose in complete trust and faith to honor God with his life. And here's the coolest part of the story. At first, he was rejected. At first, things didn't go well. But guess what ended up happening? His parents saw his faith and became Christ followers. His brothers and sisters saw his faith and became Christ followers. The obstacles were there, but he had complete trust in the one God that if he had faith and he lived a holy lifestyle, that God would take care of him. And God not only took care of him, but God worked in incredible ways through him. And even in a senior in high school's life that was just on a mission trip to Africa, I heard this story about living out faith. 
that had a huge impact on my life going forward. Today, you are called to one faith. You are called to be holy in your lifestyle. That list of things that we read through, and there's more of it, go read it later, take inventory, really study what does it mean to honor God with my life? What does it mean to have faith in God? You are called to be holy. And I don't care what your obstacles are. I don't care what happens at work or what people say or what people think or what your family believes or what your friends believe or what it might cost you. I want you to know that the one God that calls you to this faith is faithful to you and will sustain you and not only will sustain you, but God's kingdom is being built. You are invited to be a part of something that's so much bigger than the futile, selfish thinking of your own ways. You are invited to a relationship with the Creator God that wants to give you life to the fullest. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song, but I, I just think this morning it's important that I offer you an opportunity. Some of you may have been in church your whole life. You may be living by that faith. One of the things I love about this church is that you guys do love each other and treat each other differently, and I'm thankful for that. And I see that faith. But some of you here this morning may say that I'm not living by that faith. I'm not living a holy lifestyle. I'm not living by God's way. I'm living by my own selfish, futile thinking. This morning, if that's where you are, I want to invite you to encounter the Creator God. The same God that was with Fortune, that helped him live out his faith, and took care of him, the same God that's been with each and every one of us, the same God that created everything, the same God who gave his son on the cross, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross so that you could have life, wants to give you life to the fullest today. And so if you're here this morning, and you would say, I'm living in my selfish way. I'm living in a futile way, in a darkened state. I invite you to come meet the Creator God that wants to give you light and life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would call each and every one of us to this holy lifestyle, to something bigger. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied with, with just the things that we're after, just the simple pleasures and the selfishness that we live, Lord. But I pray that you would call us to a faith that's lived out every day. And I pray, Lord, that you would transform us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.